we are very thankful for the Fellowship of Saints. Uh, let us never take for granted what it is to be able to be together with others. And we realize we have brothers and sisters in Christ that getting together with others is something that's hard. It's hard for them because of their health, uh, situations like that, and they would like to be, or maybe even responsibilities they have that don't allow them to, to, to go about and get together because maybe they're caring for somebody. Uh, and uh, so we think of these people that we know and uh, the needs that they have and for the believers in their lives, it would actually take time to connect with them and encourage them. But I'm thankful for the ability to be healthy again, for those you've allowed to be here tonight and ask that we can be encouragement to each other. And uh, uh, thank you for your word. Amen. Okay, John 17. John 17 tonight. I should have asked if any of you had something to share that I didn't know. Should have maybe done that tonight. Um, when Gary and I were in Utah, we visited uh, the summer home of Brigham Young. And of course, it's a Mormon dude that was doing the tour. And he was talking about how they got together to make the plans for the Pacific Temple in that town. And, um, you know, they're all, we were the only non-Mormons on the tour. And so they're all going on and on about how, what a privilege it is to go to the temple, da 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 da, da. And so he brought up uh, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're so lucky because we don't have to go anywhere. We can go to God at any time. You could have heard a pin go. Silence. <laughs> well, I, I woke up the other morning and I picked up my iPad and I was reading and I was reading in Hebrews 12. And at the end of Hebrews 12, he talks about that we are at the New Jerusalem, that we have this, this position where we have this access. But at the end of the chapter, he says, knowing that we have an unshakable kingdom, because the one that speaks from heaven will shake the things that are shakable and they'll come to nothing. Meaning the earthly system of religion that was in Judaism, he was going to shake all that and bring it to nothing so that it doesn't operate today. But we have an unshakable kingdom because our kingdom does not base itself around a physical structure that we have to be in. And therefore, you, can't, you, can, you, you can shake the daylights out of it. You can put a country into war and believers will still get together and meet and encourage one another, even if they have to hide out in a forest. And, believe, and we all know that. We don't have to go on. We know that there's believers that have done that through the centuries. So, yeah. John 17. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. John 17. I'll read. I'm going to read down through these verses in here. If you have questions, we already kind of covered the first uh, five. I don't know if I did an adequate job answering everybody's questions on that, but we're going to read through those again in case another one pops up. But uh, And I'm going to read from my the new revised standard version that's in the margin of my Bible. I know it's not always the best translation, but it's not horrible. But anyway, verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth by finishing the works that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you and have believed that you sent me. I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. And verse 10 actually continues that, but if we get through, the, through those, that would be amazing. Uh, we've been out for a while, so I'm just going to review the first part that he is asking the Father. He says, the, the hour has come to glorify your Son. The son's going to go to the cross. He knows this. This is what he's going to do. But he's also going to be crucified, crucified on the cross. And then he's going to be resurrected. resurrected. And it's in all of that, these closing works. Remember when he's on the cross? 
What's one of the things he does not say this, somebody else says this when he's on the cross. I think Peggy mentioned this last time. Oh, the thief says... It's not the thief. The thief does say something. That's true. That's, Yeah. God or yeah. Like it's God it's there's a there's an earthquake. What? Surely this one was the Son of God. Yeah, which I think if you ever see the, is it Ben? Is that Ben Hur? That 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 that's in John Wayne plays the centurion. I think it is. Dan Dalkey used to do that. I'm sure Josh must have heard Dan do that that line several times. But anyway. Um, yeah, the, he was glorified. The Father glorified the Son, even on the cross. Even with what happened on the cross, the Father was Father glorified the Son. <laughs> we're going to start Sunday. We're going to start a short series. We're relating to the, moving to the dynamics of the church, but on the glory of God. Uh, and something, I wish I would have had all the outlines from that conference that they did down at the church where Josh was pastoring. They did a conference on the glory of God. And I have some of the notes, but I didn't get to stay for the whole thing because we had to leave and head to Iowa <clears throat> for a trip that we were planning anyway. But uh, but it's a good topic. And this idea of glory is about God expressing what he really thinks about who God the Son is. And we're going to see this as he comes down in below in the context. He's going to talk a little bit of how he did this. Verse 2, uh, even as you have given him, that is the son, authority over all flesh, over all people, in order that he might give eternal life to them. Now, he doesn't give eternal life to everybody, but he does give eternal life to those who believe. And then he explains what eternal life is. Uh, Eternal life is actually you experientially getting to know God the Father and the Son in terms of his humanity. And we talked about that. That's why you have in Jesus Christ whom you've sent because you and I cannot know eternal life on the same level God does because we are not omnipotent. We are not omnipresent. We are not omniscient. We, have, we can have love like the Father. We can have goodness like the Father. We can have righteousness like the Father. But we're never going to be... God, not even little gods. And so our ability to experience eternal life is always going to be limited to the way God the Son in his humanity exercised eternal life, which has been the theme of John. He did what the Father gave him to do, right? That's what he did. He just didn't willy-nilly run off and just do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. He did exactly what the Father, and that's the same way you and I, would you say? Is that the same way that we use eternal life? We use it the way God wants. We don't sit around and go, oh, how should I use eternal life today? Hmm, what things should I do today? No, you're going you're gonna to see the things. We're going to come to some examples of that in just a minute here, and you're going to help me do this. I want to get to that part of this first. Verse 4. I glorified you upon the earth, completing the works that you have given to me, that I should do them. This is what we were just saying. This is the way Jesus Christ showed eternal life. He did works the Father gave him to do. So now glorify me, Father, alongside of yourself, with the glory that I was having, imperfect tense, meaning I was ongoing having this in the past, before that world ever existed. It's not like I just had it at one point. It was an ongoing thing in the past. That's the emphasis of the imperfect tense in the Greek. Something ongoing at a point in time in the past. Without emphasis to beginning, without emphasis to end. It's just existing. And he says, I was already having that glory. But when he came down here, and we looked at this last time, in Philippians, he gave up the free exercise of his divine nature when he came down here and he exercised his divine nature, his divine abilities, only as the Father gave him. He always obeyed it. He just didn't say, I'm thirsty, cup of water. I'm hungry, fish. No. He depended, he did it exactly as the Father wanted. The Father wanted him to fast, to be hungry. He was hungry. In fact, there's an example. John chapter 4. He was tired and hungry for a reason. Okay. Verse 6, I have made visible your name. I'm just trying to look at this. 
Oh, okay. So we talked here. We talked a little bit about this last time in verse four. I've glorified you on the earth doing these works. Okay. Let's go back. I want to look at some examples of this. Chapter two, Luke, uh, John chapter two. <clears throat> if you write notes down for yourself, you should follow. So I have to remember to check out my notes I wrote down. John chapter two, verse 11. This sign, what sign is this, by the way, in John two? changing water into wine. This then, this sign, or beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cain of Galilee, and he manifested. Manifest isn't a bad word. It's just not a word that, like, if you were teaching, if, you're, if Peggy was teaching her class with her kids, you know. Uh, well, I can even ask Kenya. You're 17 now? Okay. How often do you use the word manifest in a week worth of conversations? Not very often. Okay. So manifest is not a bad word, but uh, I should ask all of you, how often in you do you in a week's worth of conversations use the word manifest? Okay. If you're in shipping, you maybe do that. But uh, outside of that, most of us don't. But the word manifest, it's simply a word in the Greek meaning to make plainly visible. That's all it means. He made plainly visible his glory and... His disciples, doesn't say everybody, but his disciples believed into him. So he's showing forth glory because what did we just see over in John 17? It was a work the Father gave him to do. We're going to come back to this idea here in a little bit. Do you want me to pause Bible study and make coffee for you? Okay. <laughs> I did, yeah, I know. Yeah. It was on demand tonight, so. Chapter 7. Go to John chapter 7. Josh, do you want a sip of mine? I should only have one cup this late at night. Not because it'll keep me up, but just. I probably have one. I don't know. After you ran that 10 miles, I ain't even doing anything. Yeah, I have to hear more of this. I already have a date on Friday night. But thank you. John chapter 7, verse 14. It says, and in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and was teaching. This is the, chapter 7 is the, I was looking, I was reading through this this afternoon, reviewing. John 7 is the Feast of Tabernacles. It tells you that up in verse 2, which means that this is about six months out from the crucifixion. So we're about six months from the crucifixion. And this is John chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and the first part of chapter 10. All of this is kind of in this little period of time up there. So in the middle of that week of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus went up into the temple and he was teaching. And the Jews were amazed, saying, how does this man know letters? Now that, this is John 7, verse 15. How does this man know letters? Or how does this man have an education that he can speak with this clarity? Okay. A lot of people think every a lot of these people were illiterate. They weren't illiterate, but they weren't all educated to be able to speak in an intelligent way in a public setting. Okay, that's what they're talking about. Verse sixteen, and therefore Jesus answered them and said, "My teaching is not mine, but it is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, then he will know the teaching, whether it is from God." Or whether I'm speaking from myself. The one who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But the one seeking of the glory of the one having sent him, this is the true one. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Now the reason we're coming here because Jesus says, I did the works you gave me to do. And I, with those works, I glorified you. I wasn't doing those works to glorify myself. I was doing those works to glorify you. And so he's correcting these people, going, this isn't my teaching. Even the words that I'm speaking are some of the works that the Father gave him to do. They're not just the signs. Even the teaching were part of the works, part of what the Father gave him to do and to say. Has everybody got that? Okay, very important for us to get this. Chapter 8, turn to chapter 8 and go to the end of the chapter. Chapter 8 and go down to verse 50, which isn't the end, but almost the end. <clears throat> 
And this, and this section, by the way, that teaching that we just had there in John 7, that comes down into the first part of chapter 8. We've got a, we've got a bunch of people down in Egypt that took those verses out and threw them away because they thought if you left those verses in there that it would encourage your women to go out and cheat on their husbands. And so they took those verses out. But those verses are a lead-in for Jesus to get down to this topic. People say it doesn't fit. I, every time I read it, it fits perfectly in my mind. Anyway, all that to say, <laughs> go to verse 50. He's talking now. So this is within a day or so. Well, this is at least the next day after John 7. He says, I do not seek my glory. There is one, he says, that is seeking and judging. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps or guards my words, keeps them safe, don't mess around with the words. Don't mess them up. Don't take liberty with them. Holds them safe. That's the idea. He will never see death into the age. It's very important. He says, will never see death into the age. It doesn't say he will never die. It says he will not see death in the age. Remember, I just told you from John 7, this is about six months out from the crucifixion. What he's guaranteeing is at that time, any of these people that would listen to him and would take hold of his words and really say, yes, this, they'd be like the disciples at the end of John 6. Jesus said, do you guys want to go away too? Talking to the, to the twelve. And Peter says, who are we going to go to? You're the one that has the words of life. Where else are we going to go? So even though they don't get everything, they do get that he's speaking the truth. And he's the real deal. Even though they've got some question marks on some things. Don't we sometimes have question marks on some of this stuff? Yeah, okay. So he says, they're not going to see death. What he's doing is he's guaranteeing that any of you do this, they're not going to die from this point on until out into the age until the day of Pentecost comes. They're going to survive to see the beginning of the new age when people will receive eternal life. Eternal life. That's what he's guaranteeing. This is not the only time Jesus uses this language. And when our Bibles translate it, just live forever, they're missing the punch. But then notice what it says. Therefore, the Jews said, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps his words, he will not taste death into the age. See, they're missing the whole point. They're on the cusp. They're on the cusp of that new age. Six months out. That's not very long. It's not very What? It's about six months out from, from the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles in September, and Pentecost will come in about March. March to a, some so trend between. Not translating into the age at all. No, they're not. They just translate that forever. We'll never. They say we'll never die. That's the way they're translating oh. it. Yeah. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, back in verse, um, verse 50, he will not see death into the age. Ice ton Iona. That's in verse 51, yeah. And then in verse 52, they, they change the word see to taste. But it's still into the age. Yeah, yes, into the age. And there, I think there's a, there's a little bit of a difference in the taste and the see. Jesus, the word for see there is to like look at a thing and, and really think about it. Boy, I can see death. I, I can see what it is. I'm in it now. Not standing on the outside contemplating death. So when they say taste death... Taste death means to experience death in the same way that seeing, the word seeing meant to experience death because you can actually really think about it. We think about death, but not like a person that dies is thinking about death. So we have an example of somebody, Lazarus. Lazarus? Got his, he brought him back to life. Was that John 11? It's in John 11, yeah. That he will, yeah. He will not die into the age. So Jesus resurrects him so that he can live as an example of that. Thank you. Verse 53. They say, surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died. So who are you? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. The father is the one glorifying me whom you say he's your God. And yet you have not known him. But I've known him, and if I say I have not known him, I'm going to be like you, a liar. But I know him, and I keep his word. Jesus read, what is it, Andrew Carnegie's book? 
How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> yeah. You, I'd be like you. I'd be a liar. Yeah. Jesus was, Jesus was a guy, I think, that most of the time you would have found him to be pleasant to be around. But when he had people that were there causing and misleading people and leading people astray, he didn't beat around the bush. He got to the point. You guys are liars, and you're not part of this. Okay? There, there's a point to be nice, and there's a point to be straight. Anyway, but again, the reason we came over here is Jesus says, I'm not glorifying myself. The Father is the one that's doing this. And this is why we're, why we're looking at this. One last one here in, Luke, or in John 11. John 11. John 11. And this has to do with Lazarus. And it says at the end of verse 3, they said, Lord, look, the one whom you, are, whom you love, he is sick. Verse 4. And Jesus hearing said, this sickness is not unto death, but it is on behalf of the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In other words, he says, this whole, the whole reason Lazarus is sick is for me to demonstrate some of God's glory, for God to be glorified by what I'm going to do here. He says, that's what this is all about. I'm going to show something about God and God's character. All of this now, let's go back over to John 17. And then I'm going to take a little bit of liberty through the rest of this class. I hope you don't mind. <clears throat> but verse 4, he says, I have glorified you upon the earth, completing the works that you gave me to do now. And he asks the Father. This is a question for ask. Why does he ask the Father you glorify me. Why doesn't he say, hey, resurrection, grave opens up, pops out, I'm back! Psh, hit the, hit the penthouse machine, penthouse button, and pfft. No. Have you ever done that and go up in like a high rise, you know, and they got that fast elevator that goes, you can really feel it when you're going to the top of the Sears Tower or whatever that was, John Hancock in Chicago, wherever we did. Um, why didn't he do that? Why does he say, Father, you glorify me? Why does he, even here at the end of his life, why is he asking? Because he's speaking it in front of his disciples and he's showing you that I have, I have the right to ask God the Father to glorify me because yeah. I am God. <laughs> and the word ask is eratao, which means to ask between equals, not a lesser to a greater. And they would have known. They would have known that. The disciples would have heard that, and they would have known right off what he, that, how he was addressing the Father. And even though he asked with Eratao, he's still, even at this point in his life, he's still submitting to what the Father has for him to do. Yes? Christ doesn't have ask in there anywhere. What word is mistranslated? Where is that in there? Um, let's see, verse 4. Oh, no, it's not ask here. I thought it was here. I'm sorry. It's down below where he says, I'm asking for, the, for my disciples. That was my mistake. I apologize. Go down to 9. Yeah, I was jumping ahead mentally. I apologize. Your reference, Isaiah 48, 11. So verse 9 is asking as an equal? Yes. So then, is this, is, do you still have the same answer for verse 4 about why he did that then? Well, it's in verse 5 where he says, Now, glor now glorify me, Father, alongside yourself with the glory I had before the world. Yeah. It's, it's still the fact that he is still... He is still submitting to the Father's will, even though he would have the right to demand that glory and to take it of his own because he's God. He but doesn't do... He's still operating in this humanity then, right? So that would not be why he's phrasing it the way he is. I think but, and see, to me, because he's, he's communicating with the Father in front of these men. And just one more time for them to listen to see this guy is not just a man. He is God. He can... Communicate yeah. with the Father in a way that we can't, and He can ask Him to do things in a way that we can't. Yeah. I think also 
along with that, he's laying down the background of here in verse 5, we have, hey, I have a glory that I shared with you before I became a man. That it's the same glory as your glory, right? I have an inherent glory. And then you see in verse 10, it says, All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified by them. So the Son is glorified by us. This is a glory that is acquired, or ascribed, I guess. Ascribed. It's we glorify him because we're manifesting something that he has shared with us. Right? But it's not the same glory as what the Father has and what Christ and the Father share together, in, you know, individually and separately and together at the same time. It's not exactly the same. And then he's laying back the background for 22, and it says, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. So this is, a diff this is not his glory as God. As Mom pointed out that verse, that he does not share that glory. This is a glory that in the decree was given to the Son as a human being. The God who became a man then shares with his sheep, mm -hmm. according to Hebrews 13. And what is one of the things he shares with us? We talked about it already tonight. Eternal. It's eternal life. It's Colossians 1.28. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have eternal life. It's actually the fact that you can actually manifest this kind of glory that he's sharing with us. And that his crucifixion does not equal defeat. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's You're going exactly the way I was thinking. I, I'm glad for that. Some, no, I don't care. No, I don't care. I don't care. It's just whether I, whether I was, was going to say it, we want it to come from the word of God. That's the only thing that counts here. We appreciate this. No. Okay. So please now. Bear with me here. I, I want to do a little exercise with you because I really want you to think about something. Because this is, I, I have to read a couple things that I wrote down when I was thinking through this. There was a reason we went through those other verses here in John about the signs that he did and those different things. And it all goes back to the statement that Jesus had said, I do not glorify myself. I do not glorify myself. Jesus wasn't walking around every day going, how can I do glory today? How can I do glory today? He was, how did he glorify? Did the works that the, the Father gave him. The, he did the works that the Father gave him. Okay, so here we go. These, these, these are my thoughts. These are just my thoughts. So take it as my thoughts, not scripture. These are my thoughts. Does this have implications for us and how we serve slash do ministry? However you want to put that. Still my thoughts. I'm personally, this is me. I want you guys all to know this. I'm being very honest with you. Okay. No, but I want you to know this. I'm personally wrestling with how to reach out more. My wife will tell you this. Over the last few months, I don't see new people coming into the church. And there's a part of me that always says, I think a healthy church means that not only are people growing, but you also have some new believers coming in. That's kind of the nature of a healthy church. And I, I don't see that happening. So I've had a lot of questions in my mind. There's something I'm not doing right. Is this me? Is it us? I don't know. Those are the questions Sunday, I have. I think our Sunday activities, people want to go to a church that makes them feel good more and have a short... The, the, the church service we went to on Sunday was 45 minutes total. And when they did their worship service, the lights were dark, and they had the big screen, drums and everything, entertaining, entertaining and a message. It wasn't It wasn't bad. bad. It was a lot better than the sure. church that Kate Nearon had been going to. Way, way better that, that way. People don't. But, and, then, and then the lights went up, and everybody made a mass exit for the doors. Okay. I, I didn't come here to diss on any other church or anything like that. I didn't do that. I was just saying, I personally have been wrestling with this. Okay, so here's my question. Can I, can I say something? Yes. Not to sound no, no. flippant, but God puts who he wants in each individual body, and a healthy church is one that is serving and loving each other and thus growing together in the body. So the ones that are here are the ones that God wants here, regardless of what you do. Okay. So that brings me to my next thought. Because when I've been praying about this over the last many months, and this hasn't just been like a month or a few weeks, it's been going on for months. My wife will tell you, because I talk with her about this. 
Every time, I wrote this down, every time God brings me back to this, I'm serious. I'm praying, I seriously am praying about, and God always brings me back to this. My, that is God's work, or my, Tim's work. Which do you want to do? Do I want to do the way I think it ought to be, or do I want to do it God's way? So, do we or I reinvent ourselves or myself to be more successful? These are questions I ask. Okay. Well, the success has to be made by God's word. So, again, you can put any standard of up there in the world and we can probably hit it. But is it what God wants? Mm -hmm. So, here we go. This is our exercise. You guys are going to have to put on your thinking caps. I'm not, otherwise, we'll be here all night trying to read these. In John 2, we're, we're going to walk through. These are signs. These are signs and events that Jesus... I thought you were doing my grandson. My grandson, I remember what's wrong. You're talking to him. My grandson will do this. You just run around. It's like, I don't think he wants to hear us. I'm not for sure what he's doing. Because anyway. he won't answer me. He doesn't tell me what's going on. Anyway, what does what what Jesus do in John 2? Changes water to wine. Okay, now I have who to who. So the question is... Is that John, grammatically correct? Who to whom? Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay, who to whom? Okay, so this is the question. In John 2, who comes to whom with regard to this sign? Oh, Mary. Mary, and I'm going to be lazy to Jesus, okay? Lazy? Okay. What happens in John 3? It's not a sign. Nicodemus. Who oh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. John 4. Woman at the well. Who comes to whom? The, the woman comes to Jesus. She comes to the well while he's sitting there. Mm -hmm. Jesus does initiate a right. conversation with right. her. Right, but he, he planned to go to Samaria <coughs> and he norm they normally don't go That's right. that way. That's right. And he was tired and he sat down while his disciples went for food and she comes out to him and he engages. <coughs> what happens in the last half of John 4? The official son is sick. The official son is sick. Mm -hmm. So he comes to whom? The official comes to Jesus. Okay, John 5. Jesus goes up to the pool of Bethesda. Pool of Bethesda, yeah, however you say it, yeah. yeah. Now, in this case, who comes to whom? Jesus goes to him. Jesus to the lame man. Yeah, yeah, the man can't come to Jesus, exactly. So Jesus has to kind of come to him. But there's a whole other scenario. Jesus comes to him, and is this man ever grateful? Okay, let's come back up here. Are these people grateful that they got good wine? Oh, yeah, they were happy they got good wine. Nicodemus, we're not so sure where he is at the end of this. <laughs> He's probably got a few questions. Is the woman grateful? Yes. Oh, she's very grateful. Is the official grateful? Yes. He's very grateful. Is the lame man grateful? Yeah. No, he's not. No. He's very ungrateful. He actually turns, he yeah. snitches on Jesus. Yeah. He's the one that told me to pick up my mat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a, he's, he's, you're like, you were lame for 38 years. And now you're kind of throwing Jesus under the bus? Okay. John 6. What happens in the first part of John 6? Feeding of the 5,000. He feeds the 5,000, but here's the question. Does Jesus go find 5,000 people to feed? No. No. So we have, let's be honest, 5K plus have come to Jesus. What happens in the last half of John 6? Walks on water. He walks on water, and then the next day, because he walked across the lake, they come back. They follow him. Yeah, 5,000K, again, come to Jesus. A lot of them end up leaving at the end, but 5,000K come. John chapter 7. I'm trying to remember. I put this one up here for a reason, and now I'm drawing a blank. This is the Feast of Booze, but 
We're going to skip it because I can't remember what it was for. I'm really sorry. The first part of John 8. First part of John 8, what happens? We, the woman caught in adultery. Who comes, who comes to whom? They bring her to Jesus. The leaders? Come to Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. Well, in John 7, the Jews are coming to yeah. Jesus, but they're coming to kill him. Kill him. Mm -hmm. They're coming to kill him, but they also come to hear him. Oh, he's come up to the temple to speak, and they yeah. want to listen to him. So we've got two different things going on there. Yeah. So it's actually the Jews, they come to Jesus, and for two different reasons. Yeah. John 9. Blind man. Blind man. And this one is, again, Jesus goes to the blind man. Jesus goes to the blind man. But, unlike the lame man, when Jesus comes back and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He goes, well, I don't know who is he. And he goes, he's the one that's speaking with you. And the blind man believes in Jesus. And then the leaders are like, give glory to God. And he's going, well, no. Anyway, we could spend a whole time time going over that again. John 10. What happens in John 10? Oh, wait a second. I didn't do that right. It's John 11. John 11. Lazarus. Jesus goes to Lazarus. Jesus goes to Lazarus. But why does he go to Lazarus? Oh, because they came to They sent. Because the sisters send for him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, now, just looking through these, in John, I don't, this is not a mistake. When we've talked about these works that Jesus did, the works the Father gave the Son to do, how many of those works did Jesus have to run out and initiate and find the work? No, it was always Mary coming saying, we need wine. Nicodemus coming, no one can be from God if they do signs like you do. The woman came and said, no one has ever talked to me like this man. The official going, come see, come heal my son. Okay, Jesus goes to the lame man and he throws him under the bus. The 5,000 come to listen to Jesus teach for more than a day. That's why he feeds 5,000. It's not that they just went from lunch till supper and they're like Tim and they get shaky because their blood sugar is low. It's because they'd been out there for a few days listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus has compassion on them. And then the next day, they chase him across the lake. And in John 7, the Jews come to hear Jesus speak. And as Jim pointed out, some of them come to kill him in the end. And then the leaders, they come to Jesus again to find a cause to have him put to death. And then in John 9, Jesus goes to the blind man. But, but he's not like going out going, where's the blind man? Where's the blind man? They're walking with the disciples, and the disciples are actually one. hey, Master, can you answer a question? Why is this man blind? Who sinned? He or his parents? And Jesus says, neither one of them sinned. He's blind that I might work the works of God. So the disciples actually kind of initiate the whole thing, but it was not a mistake that they were walking through that area where he was begging. And then John 11, the sisters send for Jesus, and they get to see Jesus do the glory, which we saw that in John eleven four. This is the point. I told you, when I think about this, and these things run through my mind, one of the things God brings me back to, and it really came through when I was reviewing for this study, is that, you know what? The real word, if we want to, if we want to do this glory, like Josh was reminding us, if you really, really want to participate in the glory that God the Son has given to us to manifest, you know what you do? You do the works God puts in your path. When Nicodemus comes to you and says, hey, I need to talk to you. Or the woman comes and you start saying, hey, give me some water. And she goes, well, yeah, you know, and you get the conversation going. Or the official comes. The whole point in most of this is God sets it up. A lot of times when we do church and ministry, it's us trying to create an opportunity to do ministry rather than the ministry that God has put right in my path. That person that's like, I don't have time for you because I've got ministry opportunity out here. I have to go to Bible study tonight at church, which I'm not saying you shouldn't be here. But you know what? I, I've told you all this story before. There was a Bible conference down at uh, Steve Adams Church years ago. They invited me to come and speak among the other speakers. I was like, I wasn't keynote. I was going to be one of the speakers. But I prayed about it, and it was just weird. It's like, 
every time I prayed about it, it's just like God said, no, no. And I was just like, I don't get this. I do not get this. Peggy's heard this, and some of you probably heard this before. But I was tutoring for the public school up here, a young man that couldn't be in the regular classroom. And so we're meeting in the administration building. Hi. I don't know. Terry, know, Terry and Jeff know what I look like. Still me. I haven't changed it. I didn't grow a beard yet. Anyway, um, sorry. I've been, I've been speaking for three weeks, so I didn't calm down here. I'm getting all wound up. Kind of cranked up like my granddaughter's little bear that sings Jesus Loves Me. Too much coffee, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, the day that I would have spoken at that conference, that day up there in that room with that young man that I'd been teaching for months, and I was just, I was just at my wit's end, he ended up getting so upset with me that day that he jumped up the table, ran out. No one's in the building that day. We were in the building all by ourselves. Takes off running, and I took off running after him. He didn't know I ran. So he couldn't believe I could keep up with him. And we were almost all the way over to Gary and Leslie's. By the time he turns around, he's like, oh, I didn't know you can hear. I said, let's just walk back and the two of us. Anyway, so he and I are walking back. And I start, and I'm like, can I talk to you about something not school related? He goes, okay. And I start talking to him about God and Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I can never, he says, God, God could never handle me. God could never deal with me. He says, you, if you knew, if you knew the stuff I've done. And I said, you know what? So what would you do with a man that, that, that cheated with another man's wife and then couldn't get that man in trouble or couldn't get himself out of trouble, so he got the husband to come back, and that didn't work, so he sends the man out and gets the man killed at war. What would you say? He says, man, that guy ought to be put down. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And I used a couple of other I said, you know who that first guy was? He said, that was King David in the old Bible. He didn't know who King David was, but he didn't, hadn't gone to enough Sunday school. But there were a couple other stories. And I said, that's what all of us are like. I said, you don't know me. You don't know me outside of the classroom. I said, I'm not a great person. I'm not a good person. It's not like I go out and do bad stuff, but I'm not a good person. I said, it's, and I shared the gospel with him. And I'm just telling you, I could have said no. I got to go to California because I got to do ministry because that's going to be cool because they're going to be an auditorium full of people listening to me speak the Bible. And God kept telling me no. And because I stayed home, I got to share the gospel with that kid and that kid got saved. And I got to interact. He came to Bible study. Some of you got to meet him because he would show up at church and Bible study with us. And then he moved away. And a couple times afterwards, he would call me up and he would talk and he would ask me questions about God and the Bible. And I'm just using that as an example that this, this going through this, reading through John again as I was reviewing for this study yesterday afternoon and thinking through this stuff, and it's just like that ministry, opportunities, glorifying God really comes when God is the one that sets up something you could never know he was going to put in your day. You, your head comes off the pillow. You go, I got this, 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 and this, and this I got to do today. And God goes, Yeah. But just wait for this thing, 10 o'clock, and you walk in, somebody comes across your path, and you're like, I wasn't looking for that. But it said God, and, and it's not always sharing the gospel with somebody. Sometimes it's a person that needs your time. Sometimes it might actually even be your five-year-old granddaughter or two-year-old grandson that doesn't understand anything from my point of view. You know, he's running on so much testosterone that his brain doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so that was kind of the joke when we were over there. But on a serious note, it can't be something as simple as that. Gary and Leslie getting to take care of their little great-granddaughter now. And that can be not only, I mean, she may not be appreciating what she's getting, but the parents and the grandparents are appreciating something with that. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we just take for granted, that those are ministry opportunities that God puts in our path sometimes. Kid coming and mowing our lawn yesterday. Yeah, somebody came and mowed our lawn yesterday. I got an idea who it is. Yeah. But, so, yeah, that, that meant an awful lot to us coming home that we're thinking one less thing that we have to think about this week. But I'm just saying, I hope as we're kind of drawing this study in John to a close, that maybe we think more seriously about being ready every day for the thing God puts in our path that we might not otherwise be prepared for because it's not the thing that we put on our schedule, but it's the thing God put on the schedule. Jesus didn't know Mary was going to come and say, hey, we're out of wine. Jesus didn't know Nicodemus was going to knock on the door and say, I need to talk to you. Jesus 
You know, in his, his divine omniscience, he would know, but in his human nature, did he know that this woman was going to come out there? Did he know that this official was going to come out? And so on and so forth. Do you get these examples? And these are just the ones out of John. And they are beautiful examples. And I'm sure there's more we could take from John, but those are the ones I compiled to think about, to think about from John, that Jesus didn't glorify himself. He glorified God by doing the works the Father gave him to do. Okay. <laughs> So, with all that, I'll stop. Does anybody have any concluding thoughts or questions? I do. You know, in, in thinking of it in that perspective, my first thought is, okay, um, but who was sent first? Jesus was sent, right? John 3.16. So he, God, initiated this in his plan, in time, by sending the Son, Okay, and then but then I think of this kind of what you're looking at is like in our how we address service and ministry, and I'm thinking, yeah, we should be, you know, we're not exactly like Jesus in the sense that he always manifested the Spirit, right. he, you know. So I think the, the the thing I'm thinking is, well, we need to be cognizant and intentional, so that we're ready for these. These opportunities are every day, and it's individual to each one of us. It's not going to be the same. They're different for all of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all rub shoulders with different people, have different opportunities, have different understandings of different things. But um, when you have a God that's able to um, kind of individualize mm -hmm. and utilize us, but if we're not ready, it says we should walk in those works that are prepared. It doesn't say we will. Mm -hmm. It says we should walk in them. And a big part of why that's the indefinite there is we're not always ready. We're, our mind isn't all. We kind of we might get out of sorts for any a billion different reasons. Uh, all of them reasons that we justify ourselves. I I just have to share this. And I don't mean to embarrass her, but we took our grandkids to the park every day, but Friday the rainy day, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And but we were at the park. I can't tell you how many times my wife would kick, kick, pick up conversations with other parents that were there. I mean, I did too, but she talked with me. And like three times she met believers at the parks that she'd end up talking with these other women that were believers. And they'd end up sharing things and talking about stuff and kids and, well, our grandkids for us. And I was just, I'd sit there and I'd go, God, this is just kind of fun to stand and be a fly on the wall watching this and listening to... You know, she didn't go there going, I'm going to find someone to talk to. <laughs> She's there to like, watch grandkids and make sure that they don't kill anybody else and they don't get killed. You know, isn't that kind of what you're doing at the park? <laughs> okay, that's a little extreme, but you know what I'm talking about. And there God took these opportunities, gave her opportunities. And I don't mean to embarrass her, but it's just really fun to watch her do that. So, anyway. That's something else that struck me too, or not struck me, but it's something to remember is that Jesus came to a lost world altogether. Mm -hmm. We have believers, so our works aren't always with unbelievers yeah. and bringing them to salvation a lot of times or who knows how often they're within the church and the family. So, you know, that's yeah. another thing to not be discouraged if you don't feel like you're leading people to believe in Jesus every day because mm -hmm. that's not what a lot of it will be for a lot of people, especially if your gift isn't evangelism and you won't have as many opportunities as somebody who has that gift. That's right. And a good example of that is the John 11, where the sisters send for him to raise Lazarus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, this is for the glory of God to be right. seen. They, they and who was going to get... They sent him to come heal him. To come heal him is what they actually came. Jesus right. waited because he told the disciples, this isn't for death, this is for the glory of God. So who was going to get to see the glory of God? The sisters. He even tells the sisters that in John eleven forty. Didn't I tell you, if you'd believe, you'd see the glory of God? But it was also the disciples and then a bunch of other people. But yeah. And another comment or thought I had when you're commenting about the church you visited this week, and I know you weren't trying to speak out about other churches or anything, but the um, I always think about I don't I just, I don't come try to compare a church I would like to go to versus what I might be visiting. I try not to compare that. I tr I think of the churches in Revelation, and you can see there's a wide variety, right? And some had good things, some, almost all of them had a bad thing. Um, some of them had no good things. But a lot of the churches that you might go to today, 
maybe that's exactly what the peop- some of the people attending there need at that moment. And if they were to come to the church that you or I would prefer to go to, they might not get a whole lot from it because they're not ready for that or they're not at the right place. But where they're going, it's exactly what they need at the moment. Mm-hmm. Or God's big enough. And maybe they outgrow that. Maybe they, if they're faithful, if they're, if that church is teaching something that's true, even if it's unintended, even if it's something that they're just reading and say, this is what they say. And the Holy Spirit can use that and they can get what they need at that church. And we've heard of stories of people getting saved at a Jehovah's Witness church when they're mocking the gospel. And, uh, and that's the ultimate thing is a true believer, God's able to get through to them. And, uh, that can happen anywhere, just about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of grew up in a, in a prosperity gospel mm-hmm. church, you know, and taught a lot of those things early on as a, as a probably teenager. But all things I've been through in my life, and God really used all those moments, situations, and conversations to lead me to where I'm today. These are perfect illustrations of, I mean, you might call it God's dealing with us on a micro level, a day-to-day basis. We also have illustrations of that same thing on a macro level. On, you know, I'm t- talking from the perspective of an older guy looking at, I hope to retire in the younger person. What am I going to do for my life? They're looking at a career, looking at going to college, or going to do this. Or we make plans with goals. You know, James tells us about making plans, mm-hmm. going to a city, make game. We're going to do this and that, and, I'm going to, and don't know that our life is going to be required as of this day. Um, I don't suppose that Noah's family raised him to be a shipbuilder, and that he had a goal set before him to spend his life building a ship to save humanity. And yet that's what God's goal for his life, his entire life revolved around building a boat. Um, And just, if we don't have that day-to-day mindset of being moldable, flexible to what God wants us on a day-to-day basis, I think that it's really easy for us to lose track of what he wants for us for our lifetime. Because I know that the direction I've gone in my life wasn't what I planned when I was younger, and it wasn't what my folks planned. They saw me on the concert stage as a violinist, and that's what they pushed me for, and that's what I worked until I was in my early 20s. And God couldn't have sent me in a a more different different direction. And I have no regrets, but it's not what I would have planned. Um, So so I'm just saying that I think if we don't recognize that on a micro level, why it's easier for us to lose track of what he wants us for a lifetime, because those decisions... Uh, that we make for our lifetime sometimes hinge on just individual moments that come by on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And if you want to hear more about Noah, you can go and listen to Jim's study from this last week. So, <clears throat> And I, I'll probably repeat this on Sunday, but I appreciate Josh and, and Jim and Ben. Well, they weren't filling in. They were teaching the class that they where they were. But those guys filling in for me, I appreciated that. So, and you are doing this weekend, right? Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, guys.